From Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a late career job loss. Going to work for another firm on a contract basis helps get a sense of what does a deliverable look like? What does the client interaction look like? Is it a client that you'd work with again? Is it a firm you'd like to work with again? Today on episode 94 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with the inventory iceberg crusher, Michael Ryan. Michael began accepting project work through another consulting firm before launching his own consulting business. Stay with us to hear all the details. If you'd like to share your story on Going Solo, please get in touch with me at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Michael Ryan. Michael is known as the inventory iceberg crusher, unlocking cash frozen in inventory for manufacturers. His clients are committed to finding the balance between too much and not enough inventory while maintaining high levels of customer satisfaction and cash flow. As a GE-trained and certified Six Sigma black belt with more than 25 years of experience, he has solved inventory issues for both middle market and Fortune 500 businesses, translating into customer satisfaction, improved cash flow, and increased EBITDA. Michael, welcome to the show. David, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, I've listened to a whole bunch of the podcast and really enjoy it. And uh, I look forward to sharing my story here today. Uh, Well, that is exactly what we're going to do. So your story started out as a high-achieving professional. And you transitioned into entrepreneurship. What, What was behind that? David, at its core, it's very simple. I got fired. Uh, I was working for a uh, manufacturing business privately held that uh, was impacted by the burst of the oil and gas bubble. And as part of my networking, right, I had a, a path in front of me and had an opportunity to do some work for a consulting firm out west. And during that first project, David, I just, I had a blast. I realized how much fun, you know, consulting really could be. So you became an accidental consultant. (laughs) 100% accidental. Yes, I literally fell into it. Uh, Fascinating. How did you end up coming in contact with a company that hired you? So I had done a bunch of networking, live in Northeast Ohio. Somebody I had worked with previously in corporate said, hey, here's a firm that uh, has done a lot of work for us. They're really good people with all the businesses that they see and touch. You know, maybe they've got an opportunity. And uh, from that introduction, had the uh, first conversation and we just clicked on the phone. And the person I was speaking with says, hey, you know, we've got a project that's out in St. Louis. It's right in your wheelhouse. Would you be interested in working on a project? And I said, well, uh, I've got a wife and four kids who really enjoy uh, eating and sleeping. So, yes, I would love to work a project. <laughs> how how viable an option is it to start consulting by working for somebody else as a consultant? Because, you know, for a lot of long-term employees that that are leaving corporate, when they, particularly if they decide that they they very much want to be self-employed, a common path is to become a consultant or, or start a consulting business. However, building up enough business at the beginning takes time. 
And if you end up going to work for another firm as a consultant, that might be quicker. Yeah, and I think for me, David, literally because I fell into it, going to work uh, as a 1099, as a contractor for another firm, really helped me get an understanding of what the work would be like, really, really more about what the delivery would be like. And my story is I had worked, uh, you know, one project had a blast, had an opportunity to work a second project again as a contractor, had a blast. And it was during the third project that the firm shared their billing with me, right? And I do math all day, every day. And, you know, their approach is fixed scope, fixed fee. So I figured out, you know, I was getting about 20%. Uh, the other person on the ground with me was getting 20% and the house was taking 60. And, you know, I was having this conversation explaining it to my wife and she looks at me and she said, wouldn't it be better to get the 80 instead of the 20? And, and that's where really I'd say the, the, the light bulb fully engaged. And I said, you know what? I can do this, right? I know I can do the delivery. And the question becomes, can I figure out how to do the business development? And, um, you know, with that, that's where I made the transition from working for a firm where they found all the work uh, to working for myself where I had to develop the work. And, yeah, talk to me a little bit about that transition from somebody else doing the business development to you doing the business development. Okay. So with this, I had spent probably three months, you know, building my website, getting a logo made you know, putting together what I thought was some marketing collateral. And there was a, uh, a manufacturing and technology show here in Cleveland. And I'm like, oh, I need to get a shirt. So I get online, I find a polo, I get it embroidered with my logo. And uh, my wife and I are sitting outside and the mail comes and I open this package up and I'm all proud to hold this shirt up. And my wife looks me dead in the eye and she goes, you're the best prepared consultant that has no work. You need to learn how to sell. And I was like, huh, (laughs) you made a good point. So I reached back to somebody who I had worked with, you know, a 30 year, very highly skilled sales guy. And I said, hey, Matt, I need to learn how to sell. You know, will you teach me how to sell? And we sit down and he looks me, he looks at me, he goes, Mike, you know how to sell selling is building relationships. You know how to build relationships. Now, you may need help with the outreach. You may need to get better at the follow-up, but ultimately, you know how to sell. You just don't realize you know how to sell. That was kind of the, uh, you know, that took me back to the fundamentals of, of building relationships and, and ultimately in helping teach me how to build a sales pipeline. How long did it take you to build a consistent sales pipeline? It took me about 90 days to get my first project. And so (laughs) what I've learned over the last four years is, and I can't say I fully cracked the code in terms of having a consistent sales pipeline. What I learned was that I had to set aside time and balance delivery with development. The first really, truly big engagement I had lasted eight months. And for those eight months, I was fat, dumb, and happy. I was ringing the bell. I was getting paid. And, you know, when that engagement completed, 
I stopped and looked around and said, huh, I've got nothing else lined up. And, and, you know, that was a mistake I made only once. And from there, it was being very conscious and intentional about always making sure I had time carved out to keep the development going, to keep the pipeline full. So how do you structure your time now so that you work on both development and delivery simultaneously? Uh, it's about 20% of my time I dedicate to development. And you know what I've learned is to, uh, whether it's scheduling early coffees or scheduling dinners, uh, the other thing that uh, I've done, and I, I think it's been successful, is building a, uh, a networking group uh, here in Cleveland. We call it the Middle Market Network. And that's a way uh, to get a group of people together, help connect good people while simultaneously you know, helping drive awareness of you know, the ways that I can help create value. Mm. So is this a group you started or, or that you joined? So it was about two and a half years ago, uh, the person who started it uh, invited me into the group, and it was interesting. Uh, you know, he kind of broke down how it works, and and he was lamenting that, hey, you know, we're not getting the turnout. And I said, okay, well, what's your process, right? I'm a process guy. What's your process? He says, well, I just send out the calendar invite, and I'm like, no, save the date, no tickler, no reminder, no, just the calendar invite. And I said, the calendar invite with the subject line that says beer, networking, and good times, that calendar invite? And he says, yep. And I'm like, well, you know, we, we serve the middle market. We operate in and around the middle market, right? Me being the creative engineer that I am, I said, why not just call it the middle market networking group? And, you know, the, the events up until that point were getting maybe 15 people, and you know, putting a process in place of a, a save the date, uh, calendar invite, a reminder, and a thank you. So we were getting four touches in a six-week cycle. I helped grow the list up to, I think right now we're at 208 people. And pre-COVID, we were having events between 55 and 65 people consistently. So um, you know, bringing a little process, a little communication to that middle market network well, really help create value for others and give visibility to others. And you know, one of the, the follow-on effects is it, you know, when people thought inventory or inventory came up, they said, call Mike Ryan. Right. So you not only developed a whole set of relationships of people who are potential referral sources, but you also uh, clarified your niche and got the word out about your niche. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Were you really clear on your niche when you first started your business? No. <laughs> when I first started myself, my positioning was, uh, I'm a supply chain guy. And what I learned was that being a supply chain guy was like a big, fluffy white cloud where it may be pretty to look at, but there was nothing to hold on to. And I spent more time explaining what I didn't do than what I actually did. And, you know, with that, I said, okay, I need to get better on positioning. And I, I tapped into some positioning people like Jonathan Stark and got the idea of I help X with Y. And for me, it was looking back through 
really 20 plus years of resumes and 20 plus years of deliverables and seeing that common thread of inventory. And then it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, whether, whether it's because there was a, a customer service problem or a working capital and cash flow problem, I've driven inventory improvements in, across my entire career. And what I, what I learned is that it's easier to niche down and then come back up off the niche than start really broad and be shallow. So that's how I, that's how ultimately how I, I figured out my positioning. How did you feel when you first declared your niche? Uh, a little uncomfortable, a little uncomfortable because what I realized was there was still a little bit of explaining of in what ways I can be of service with inventory. So there was, there was still a little clarification that I needed to do, but it was far less than saying, hey, I'm a supply chain guy. Right. Yeah, the other thing that I've also heard from people when they first declare a niche, there's the feeling that you're leaving money on the table by not being broad. And by going narrow, what opportunities am I missing? As opposed to what you are doing, which is getting really clear with a particular type of customer how you can help them right yeah and it, it absolutely was definitely it felt counterintuitive in the beginning and what i learned over time was by by niching down i could always step back and go broader so if somebody said you know hey i've got this this problem you know, what I've learned is that, all right, inventory is a symptom, right? Inventory is the output. It's the result of the balance or imbalance between supply and demand. So when someone has an inventory problem, it could very well be a sales problem. It could be a manufacturing problem. It could be a vendor and raw material problem. So by niching down, it actually allows me to uh, open up the scope as we get into conversations. Right. And what was the result to your business? How long did it take before you started to see the result of niching down? And and what was that result? Uh, I'd say it took about six months. I mean, part of it was, you know, the frequency and the way that I communicated, kind of the, the refinement. You know, part of it was uh, posting daily on LinkedIn in and around the topic of inventory with you know, if you imagine a wheel, inventory was the hub, and then any spokes or peripheral stories I had could all be connected back to inventory. So, you know, one day I might be talking about a sales plan and then connecting the dots to say, you know, here's how that ties back to inventory. So really, whether it was my in-person networking or, you know, the, the posts that I did on LinkedIn, inventory really became that hub. And I'd say it took about six months. And Mike, now that you're pretty focused on your niche and you've been in business for a few years, are you still primarily working on one project at a time or is your business has your business model also evolved? I would say half the time I'm working on one project and the other half of the time, what I like to do is as best I can is run products concurrently. So it may be 
you know, give or take three days a week, I'm on project A and two days a week, I'm on project B. And it, you know, one of the things I've learned is how to, I'd say one is balance my time. And two is part of it is experience. Part of it is trial and error, uh, figure out how long something is actually going to take. And, you know, how do I need to allocate when I'm working on two projects, or even if I'm working on one, you know, what's the most effective way to allocate my time. So I create the deliverables, you know, make the client happy. Uh, and at the same time, don't, right, don't overcommit to a deliverable. Right, right. And, and how does working on multiple projects also dovetail with the way you do business development so that you have something new that's ready to go shortly after a project ends? Yeah, so if I'm working on two, uh, generally, you know, my initial projects are typically discovery projects and they take between two and four weeks. So I can approximate how long I think the overlap's going to be. And ultimately, my goal is to minimize the daylight between when one project completes and another project begins. And if I know I'm going to have uh, a gap that's where I focus my efforts and ramp up the, the business development. So I become very opportunistic in terms of, right, if I'm looking out at the calendar and I see three weeks from now, I've, I've got a gap, right? I'm going to put that time to either pre-work on the upcoming project and absolutely to make time to, you know, connect with people I may not have spoken with in the last couple months. Yeah. So it sounds like you you have a pretty well-oiled machine at this point. I'd say it's <laughs> it's not without its flaws, David. You know, I'd say one of the things I've learned is to not hold time. So, you know, early on it was, hey, we can start this in two weeks. And then it slides a week and then it slides a week and it slides a week. And I wouldn't I wouldn't book any other conversations or lunches or breakfasts and and now until, you know, there's, you know, pen on paper and that time has been truly bought and paid for, then I keep my development going. Because after, you know, the first week of nothing on the calendar because I had held time for a project that wasn't, in fact, signed and sealed, I learned pretty quick that, you know, my time is mine and I need to manage and own my time. Your, your time equals cash flow. My time equals cash flow. That is correct. Mike, looking back over what you have accomplished since you first started consulting, if you were advising someone who at that point, the, the initial point of unemployment, the decision was, I want to be a consultant. I want to make it work as well as possible and as quickly as possible. What advice would you offer? So in that case, I think, and at least, and maybe it's because the path I took, so I've, I've got some confirmation bias. I think that going to work for another firm on a contract basis helps get a sense of, you know, what does a deliverable look like? What does the client interaction look like? Is it, is it a client that you'd work with again? Is it a firm you'd like to work with again? Because in the beginning, you know, there, there's, for me, it was, I got to work. I need to have income coming in. And maybe I worked on projects with people that I really, really didn't want to. And as I've gotten more uh, experience and have some of these introductory 
conversations, I'm getting a much better sense of, hey, who can I work with? Who can I collaborate with? And who am I not going to be able to work with? And, you know, that, you know, there are times where, you know, there may be an opportunity and I have some conversations and I'm like, you know what, you know, maybe I'm not the right fit for this. You know, I'm happy to give you two or three people who may be a good fit, but, you know, this, this really isn't in my wheel space, uh, wheelhouse. And, you know, I've had, you know, people ask me to, to do work and come back and said, hey, listen, I could probably fake my way through it, but I'm not going to give you the, the best product, but let me see if I can introduce you to somebody who can. So I always like to say no and. So no, I can't do it. And here's one or two or three people who may be able to help you um, rather than just flat out close the door. That makes total sense. Well, Mike, We've covered a lot of territory about how your experiences have led to a successful consulting business. Congratulations on what you've built. And we've also covered some of what you actually do with clients, um, you know, in your niche and the problems that you solve. If someone wants to go deeper with anything we've shared today, uh, learn more about you or access any resources you have, where would be the best place for them to go? Uh, the best place is to go out to LinkedIn. And if you type in inventory iceberg, I guarantee you I will be the first result. And the, uh, the other place is my uh, website, www.m, as in Michael, R-Y-A-N group, mryangroup.com. Um, and by the way, I love the positioning. Thank you. Michael, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and going solo and share your insights. My guest today has been the inventory iceberg crusher, Michael Ryan. Thank you again, Michael, for joining us. Oh, thank you, David, for having me. I appreciate it. When you visit the Going Solo website, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today, we learn how to use project work to learn how to build your own consulting business, and much more. If you'd like to share your story on going solo, please get in touch with me at smashingtheplateau.com. Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them learn how to build a successful business after a late career job loss. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode. 